Happy versus Flourishing, episode 15. There's a lot of brain science that says we are able to more successfully and more sustainably make really difficult life behavior changes if we're supported by other human beings, if we feel connected, if we feel accountable, if we are visible, and if we can relate and resonate with other people that are going through similar challenges. That is the voice of Wendy May, who is a purpose coach and a a conscious leadership consultant. And we're going to hear a lot more from Wendy in this week's episode. Welcome to the podcast where we aim to give you ideas on how you can improve aspects of your life to have a generally a better quality of life. If you like the show, why not subscribe, leave a review and I hope you enjoy this week's episode with Wendy May. Happy versus flourishing. My guest today, Wendy May. How are you, Wendy? I'm very good, thanks. And you're somewhere pretty exotic, aren't you? I guess you could say that. Yeah, I'm in Thailand right now on this island called Koh Phangan. And of all the places that someone has to see through this whole pandemic, I think that's one of the places I would prefer. If I could, you know, if I could choose from many places on earth, that's a pretty good choice. I definitely agree. I feel very, very blessed to be here in general and especially during this time. And so how long have you been there? Um, I've been coming and going uh, from Thailand since 2015 when I left my corporate job. And Mm -hmm. I've been pretty stable here for the last two years, I would say. And normally I do travel back and forth to the U.S. where my family lives. Uh, But Mm -hmm. of course, this year has been not a typical year. So I've been... Yeah, pretty much here continuously for the past two years, more or less. And so you talked about when you left your your corporate job. So what was it you were doing previously then? Uh, When I was working in San Francisco, I did a bunch of different things. The most recent job I had was in a management consulting firm where Mm -hmm. I was doing uh, what they call leadership and organizational development, which is a fancy way of saying um, working with a lot of executives on their interpersonal issues. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So dealing with human beings and facilitating process and helping people make really difficult uh, emotional decisions. Um, yeah, so making people play nice together, basically. And had you been doing that for long? Yeah, I'd spent about 15 years in corporate uh, doing various roles. I worked internally as well in a leadership development role where I was doing more training development and instructional design, uh, working with executives as a coach and as a facilitator and instructor. And Mm. yeah, worked in-house, worked as a consultant and eventually decided to go independent. And and what was the um, kind of catalyst for that change to make you want to live? Yeah, it's funny. Everybody loves to ask, what was the moment, you know, you decided? Mm. And honestly, I can't say that there was one defining moment where I made sort of an abrupt change in my life. Um, Mm. I think that from the outside looking in, it always looks like that um, because Mm. that's what you can observe, right? You can observe the fact that, okay, I was in a corporate job, living in a Mm. condo in San Francisco and, you know, working this office job. And then I popped out and decided to travel the world as a nomad and work for myself and build my own business. But Mm. what's observable seems quite abrupt, but I would say the process of getting to that point was over many years. You know, it was many Mm. years of 
observing myself being, um, yeah, exhausted, unsatisfied. It was, yeah, it's an accumulation of experiences or sort of uh, receiving a kind of you get to a point where you get enough signals where you're like, okay, I can't ignore this anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. so you start to get messages and they pile up and they pile up and they pile up. And eventually you're like, okay, I need to actually respond to this now and do something different with my life. I just wonder how different life became once you made that change. I mean, it was a gradual change, I would say, because in the beginning I was still doing a lot of similar work. I was just doing it remotely. So I kept Mm -hmm. doing very similar work with some of my old clients. Mm -hmm. And over time, I started branching out into different things. So I think Mm -hmm. this is the thing about making changes is that uh, if you don't want to shock your system into going into a fear response, it's good to kind of take baby steps. So Mm -hmm. I actually kind of started my new life before I left the old one in the sense that I was already doing a bit of work uh, outside of my day job. And that sort of, it was a proof of concept for me, actually, that people were approaching me for this uh, Mm -hmm. without doing any marketing, without having established a business of my own, that already people were from my network, friends of friends, were approaching me and saying, hey, can you help me with this? Mm -hmm. And that, to me, was it was just more information. It kind of built my confidence to say, hey, I can actually leave my uh, corporate job and go out on my own. And so what is it that you do now and how do you help people? There's so many different things that I do. (laughs) It's kind of difficult Mm -hmm. to say in a brief statement. But um, yeah, I mean, when I look at the last five years, I've done a lot of different things. I mean, in the beginning, I was doing executive coaching. Um, I was Mm -hmm. still doing a bit of organizational design and organizational development as a contractor and a consultant. I've been running women's retreats, so I had a retreat program called Life Reboot, which was basically reaching a hand behind and helping other women specifically who were in similar positions as I had been in, sort of saying, okay, I don't really know what I want to do with my life, but I know this isn't it. Help me Mm -hmm. to change, right? So I was running immersion retreats, these intensive one-week deep dives Uh, with small groups of people, 10 to 12 people at a time. So that was something that I was doing. I also started an online business selling biodegradable glitter. So I became very passionate around sustainability and sort of eco-friendly products. And just in my travels, started getting introduced to people who were also interested in that and had the inspiration to start a glitter brand called Glitter Revolution. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And then the last two years I've really been focused on regenerative purpose, which is now a book and an audio book as well as turning into a group coaching experience. So there's just, yeah, many different things that are going on. And so when you, when you just mentioned about regenerative purpose, so what is that? Well, it's a philosophy. Um, I would say it's a philosophy and it's a methodology It's a way of looking at the work that we do in the world from a slightly different lens. So I would say conventional purpose usually talks about purpose being something that is my purpose or your purpose, right? We talk about it as being something that's connected to our identity as an individual. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And my take on it is a bit different than that. So regenerative purpose is something that's much more fluid. Uh, so it's not something that's fixed that you can define and diagnose and sort of just that's it. Uh, it's mm -hmm. something that changes. Um, it's not necessarily about the form that it takes because often when people talk about purpose, they think about, okay, what's the business I'm going to start? What is the project I'm going to uh, see through? Or what's the partnership or what's the product? Mm -hmm. And those are all forms that purpose can take. But I guess my belief and what I've observed with my clients is that when we say we want purpose in life, it's really not the form that we're seeking. It's the experience. It's a feeling of being alive, a feeling of being activated, a feeling of being engaged and um, aligned, right? Feeling that you're of use, right? That mm -hmm. life and you are in a conversation together, right? So there's a bunch of different shifts in the perspective on purpose that regenerative mm -hmm. purpose brings. And it's also a process. So in terms of the coaching that I'm doing and working with people, uh, there is a whole methodology around uh, techniques and tools and practices that we can use to help evoke this feeling of being on purpose more and more. So this is the thing that I'm developing. And I think what's really different about it is that for me, it needs to be done in community. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of brain science that says we are able to more successfully and more sustainably make really difficult life behavior changes if we're supported by other human beings, if we feel connected, if we feel accountable, if we are visible, and if we can relate and resonate with other people that are going through similar challenges. So the process mm -hmm. of regenerative purpose is very much a collaborative process. And so is that, you mentioned about sometimes doing retreats, so do you have a a number of people say on a retreat or you're working with all of them uh, together on this? Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, since COVID, I haven't been doing retreats. Um, mm -hmm. But my idea is to take the experience that used to be in an in-person retreat and bring it to the online world. And mm -hmm. it is very much a co-created uh, experience. So mm -hmm. it's not just like I'm the teacher or facilitator downloading mm -hmm. wisdom to the students, right? It's much mm -hmm. more of a shared space where everybody's bringing their own wisdom from their own experiences. And my job is basically to guide that process, right? To set up the structure and to ask the right questions. But in terms of the content, uh, we're really all learning from each other as well as supporting each other in the process of making big life changes. Mm. And so typically the people that come to this, are they from all sorts of different backgrounds and industries or is it, do you sort of concentrate on a particular sector or how does that work? You know, to be honest, I don't know. I am sort of in an experimental phase right now with shifting my work from the in-person retreat space to an online community space. So mm -hmm. I it's an open question. I'm sort of waiting to see what life is going to bring me. I don't have a specific person in mind. I feel that the people who are attracted to me and to my work um, somehow magically find me because they just resonate with the message or the approach. And I trust that 
you know, so I don't really have like a traditional marketing plan with target market or segments or anything like that. I just kind of speak from my heart and put it out there and see who comes. <laughs> and so you mentioned before about how you have a different idea around purpose and the kind of conventional way that people tend to think about it. Mm. So when you put this across to, to the people you're working with, how do, how do they respond? Because I think most people have this kind of set idea of, of what your purpose is all about. Yeah, I think it can be challenging for some people to to get. Um, mm. I mean, for most people, because it's really counter to what we've been taught about purpose, right? And it's mm. very counter to what we've been taught in school in general, which is very much a masculine, linear, logical stepwise, goal-oriented process, right? This is kind of what our education system is based on, that, you know, A mm. to B, B to C, C to D, right? It's very much, you know, you, you have a plan, a strategic plan for five to ten years, and then you figure out the tactics to get mm. yourself to that goal. And this is turning that completely on its head. So it's mm. definitely kind of mind-spinning for people to to really understand. But then I think that the trick is beyond the understanding, it's really practicing. So mm. yeah, I, I expect that people, when they first hear about this, they're going to go kind of like, huh? You know, most people have that reaction, but then as people start to dig into it more, um, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about it where I think people have the experience of feeling relaxation and relief when they start mm. to understand purpose like this. Because just like with everything in life, we can get really attached to needing to do something to be, I don't know, to be conscious, to be uh, spiritual, to be contributing, to be worthy, all of these different things. And what this does is basically say, hey, you don't have to try so hard. You know, mm. you can chill out. Purpose is happening anyway. And yeah, there are things that you can do to work on yourself to plug into that more, but also you don't have to push that, you know, that it's all kind of happening in its own time. So that's the overall thing that I hear from people when they learn about this. They're like, oh, wow, I feel such a relief, right, to understand purpose in this way. And when did the book come out? Uh, published in October of 2019. And how, what kind of response have you had to the book? It's funny because I feel like the book was actually written for this year. When I go back and read parts of it myself, I think, wow, I can't believe I wrote this before the pandemic because so much of what's in it really speaks to the zeitgeist of the times in terms mm -hmm. of this. Um, I think we've all collectively been going through this process of reorienting ourselves, right? Going through loss and grief and uh, a sense of, just disorientation and mm -hmm. a lot of the book really speaks to that in terms of okay how do I find my ground how do I find my place uh, how can I engage in what's happening in the world right now without being completely flooded and overwhelmed by mm -hmm. all of the things that need to be fixed right all of the things that we can look around and see okay this isn't good and this isn't good and it's so easy to get caught up in stress and anxiety about that but this really gives people a way to say, okay, I can take part. I can choose to step into this. 
but also stay centered and take care of myself and be nourished and be relaxed about the whole process. And so in the process of writing that book, what um, did it take you a long time to kind of pull these ideas together and express them in a way that would be understandable? I mean, how, how long did it take? The physical process took about 10 months, but mm. I would say, you know, similar to what you were asking before about my own life change, mm. I think that the seeds of it were percolating much earlier than that, you know, because when I started to write the book, what I did was I actually just dumped all of the blog articles that I had written over the past four years into mm. a Word document. And so mm. a lot of the raw material was there, but then I was leaving myself voice notes, you know, waking up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. and having ideas coming through to me and, and needing to capture them and then somehow massaging that into sentences and paragraphs and pages. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was happening on many levels, I think, over quite a long period of time. But, yeah, the physical process was about 10 months from the time that I started to sit down and actually put words on paper to the point where it was actually, you know, printed and bound and, you know, I could hand it to someone. And is the book aimed at any sort of particular type of person? I would say it's, it's for anybody who wants to contribute and wants to create a better world and is looking for guidance on how to do that in a way that is uh, infused with both ease and engagement. You said that you that, you know, you're doing a number of things. You're not kind of just doing any. You're not like just coaching, for example, or mm-hmm. just doing the, the workshops. Is it sounds that you've got quite an, um, a, a very unstressed life, and, and I and I get the impression that's very deliberate. Yeah, I love it. I work when I want to work. Uh, I work on things that light me up. If I don't feel like working, I don't work, and mm-hmm. I get to choose the people and the projects that I feel like are aligned, you know, that mm-hmm. my heart says yes to. And it's not from a place of fear, and it's not from a place of trying to push to reach a goal. It really mm-hmm. feels much more organic that I'm listening to life, and I'm paying attention to what's coming to me and being able to filter and say yes or no. You mentioned just then about your the blog posts, the blog posts that kind of help came together to to help form the uh, form this book. One of the things I was reading on your website, you, you mentioned you talk about privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, what because it, it seems to me that you've got a different take on privilege than many people have. Hmm, that's possible. I'm not sure. <laughs> what is your take on it? Um. When I think about privilege as it relates to purpose, Mm. one of the things that comes to mind is that privilege is something that we feel a lot of weight of guilt or shame around. Uh, Mm. For those of us who have a lot of privilege, it can become such a burden that we feel paralyzed with it, right? There's this almost sense of unfairness, you know, that who, who am I to even ask a question about my purpose when there's people who can't afford to feed their families or they're starving, you know, struggling to make ends meet. And Mm. I guess the way that I look at privilege is that it is a gift, uh, like many different kinds of gifts that we're given to work with in life. And Mm. some of those gifts are 
earned gifts, right? There's things like skills and talents and abilities that we develop. And then there's unearned gifts that we just, you know, by accident of birth, we kind of win the lottery and we have a certain race or gender or nationality or speak certain languages, have educational opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I see all of those things as part of this basket of, uh, basically all of those things are assets. They're part of the raw materials that we have to work with. And instead of feeling guilty about having those things, I think the best thing that we can do is to feel grateful for them and see how we can use them to serve. Hmm. Your, as you were speaking, it's, it's making me thinking about your attitude to life. You've got very, um, it's very, it's very different to, to conventional to how most people are. But yeah, most people just think that they have to you know, work very hard and they kind of tend to just stay in one place and money is very important. And it often cases seems to be more important than, than how much they're really enjoying life. Mm. So I wonder, is this attitude that you've developed, is, do you see that in many other people in your family or is there, I mean, where do you think this came from? Was it someone that you met along your journey or maybe in, in university or how did this come about do you think i think it's the accumulation of a lot of different experiences i've done a lot of work to develop myself taken numerous trainings and gone on many many retreats and you know invested a lot of time to understand this about myself Mm. and i would say that the root of it was a shock event that sent me into a deep depression and that was just, it was a breakup. It was the end of a relationship that I thought was it. You know, I thought this was the man that I was going to marry. We were going to get married and have kids and buy a house in the suburbs and have 2.3 kids. Mm-hmm. And that dream that I had held on to for much of my adult life blew up one day. Mm-hmm. And it left me really at the bottom you know, at the point where I was in a very depressive state wondering, how am I going to live? You know, Mm -hmm. I had this very almost, I had lost really the desire to live. Not that Mm -hmm. I was suicidal exactly, but something close to that. And basically to climb out of that deep, dark hole, I started to find different resources. I started to go to yoga. I started doing meditation. I started taking classes And, you know, many, many things were poured into my bucket. And Mm -hmm. it was a lot of unlearning that I had to do because this Mm -hmm. personality or this orientation that you describe, that was me also. Mm -hmm. You know, I was so intent on getting the promotion at work, getting a salary raise of buying my own place, you know, all of these different status symbols. I spent so much money on handbags and shoes and just ridiculous things. And Mm. at the end of the day, I was really empty inside. I was really unfulfilled. I was stressed out. My health was terrible. You know, Mm. I was drinking three coffees a day and not sleeping, working many hours, traveling all the time, laboring over PowerPoint presentations, you know, and Mm. getting really caught up in feeling like that was important. And, you know, again, it wasn't a sudden, 
you know, oh, I just suddenly had a 180 and realized that all of the stuff that I cared about is both. It was over time that I've sort of built this new understanding of what's really important to me in life. And so I guess you look back on that breakup now as probably the best thing that ever happened. Yeah, absolutely. It was a catalyst moment in my life that started the process of so many other explorations, which, I mean, that breakup was four or five years before I actually left my corporate job. So, you know, it was one of the dominoes. I don't know if it was mm-hmm. the first one, but it was a big one. <laughs> and then there mm-hmm. was a whole series of things that happened after that that sort of made me have deeper and deeper realizations and also grow in my own courage and conviction to make a change, right? After mm-hmm. being educated my whole life, you know, by society and by my family that this is what success looks like and this is what mm-hmm. you should be focused on having to really deprogram that and say, actually, that's not true in my experience of life. Mm. And so typically in the people that you're helping with your program, with your coaching, whatever, are they, are you trying to help them to see that life doesn't necessarily have to be how we're all kind of conditioned to think it needs to be in terms of success and materialism and so on? How is it what is your your approach with people you're working with? Yeah. I mean, I would say in general with my coaching, I'm not trying to get people to do or see or say anything. What Mm -hmm. I'm doing is really giving them a safe space to reveal themselves and to discover themselves because I can't tell anybody else what's true for them. What Mm -hmm. I can do is give them a space for them to really ask themselves the hard questions without Mm -hmm. judgment and to come from a place of genuine compassion and curiosity for the process that they're in as a fellow human being who has lived through a lot of these struggles myself. Mm. And I, but I wonder if you're, you, you mentioned before about the people that are attracted to you, and so I wonder if it's those type of people that are attracted to you in the first place who, who inside, internally, they realize they want to make that kind of change that you have, but it's... For most people, this would be so scary to to make that kind of change. Yeah, and that's why we need support. You know, there's, Mm. I think, I would like to believe that this type of person that you're describing, someone who is wanting and willing to make changes in their life, is not so rare anymore, especially now Mm. that we've been through this experience of what happened in 2020. I think that there's probably a lot more people who are now asking these questions and saying, okay, what I've been doing isn't working and I want to do something else and I need support in that. You know, I need a community or I need a coach or I need to, you know, give myself some space to really inquire what I really want and what's important to me and what are my values and what kind of life do I want to have, basically. Um, I do have the sense that there are a lot more people entertaining that question now. Mm. And I mean, you've got this um, 12-week uh, collaborative group coaching program that you mentioned. So how does that work? And what do you, um, what is the objective? Yeah, for the people taking it, what are they going to get by taking this course? Yeah. Ultimately, it's the objective of that course is to help people to feel more aligned with being on purpose. And the process is really structured around many of the principles that I talk about in my book. 
so it's a bit of a group coaching meets sharing circle meets book club experience. And, you know, there's live sessions where we go into specific topics. There are assignments for people to do and come and, and reflect and to also share with each other, uh, mm-hmm. to offer feedback to the fellow participants and to do practices in between the live sessions that help to integrate some of these perspectives into their day-to-day life, right? Because like we were saying, it's not something that happens overnight. And it's really helpful to have that structure and accountability to help implement some of these things so that they become um, our new habits, our new habits of thinking and our new habits of feeling rather than the old ones, right? Because it's super hard to quit an addiction um, just cold turkey, but if we have new, better habits to replace them with, it's a little bit easier, I think, especially mm-hmm. if you have other people who are doing the same thing at the same time. Yeah. And so how do you see, like, I mean, now you mentioned that you've been living in Thailand for the last few years. How do you see things over the next few years? Are you, is this like your, your paradise or do you see yourself moving around quite a bit? What, what do you think? Yeah, it's funny because I really don't think that far ahead anymore. I mean, this is part of my new um, perspective on life is that I feel that life is really uncertain and I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing anymore because Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see what's going to happen. So my lifestyle now is very fluid and very mobile. You know, I have a house here that I've paid rent on for a year, but In terms of my personal belongings, all of it could be packed into two suitcases and a backpack, probably within two hours, and I could be gone. Mm. So there is that flexibility of, you know, whatever happens in life, I have this feeling of being resourced and having options. And that doesn't mean that I can't have dreams and visions and plans. I think one of the things I have been thinking about is investing in land here and building a house of my own as opposed to renting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's all also something that I could rent out if I decided not to stay here. So I think it's, it's really about building flexibility and mm-hmm. fluidity into my life. That gives me such a sense of freedom that, you know, I can always upsize or downsize my life as needed moment to moment. So there's not this pressure of, you know, I have a huge mortgage payment that I have to make every month and therefore I have to stay at this horrible job that I hate because it's the only way that I can afford to pay my mortgage. You know, it's like my expenses are very manageable in terms of what I make and what I have the capacity to make in terms of income. And that gives me a lot of freedom and a sense of ease right so there's no stress Mm. you mentioned just now about how if if need be you're able to move very quickly you can put everything into into a couple of suitcases so that kind of minimalist lifestyle is that again something that has just happened over this course of you know you mentioned um was it the last sort of five ten years or was there how did that come about yeah it's been a gradual process since i started being more nomadic five years ago, I had left a lot of things in a storage unit. And every time I came back to San Francisco, to the Bay Area, I would empty it a little bit more. And I went from a, you know, a huge room-sized storage unit to, you know, a very small, you know, table, underneath a tabletop kind of size 
storage unit. Mm-hmm. And now I just have a few boxes in the corner of my mom's apartment. So, mm-hmm. you know, step by step, I started to give away all the furniture. And, you know, now it's like I have very little stuff. And it's mm-hmm. beautiful because I don't really need that much stuff. <laughs> And I, I reckon, therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you've therefore got a different attitude towards gratitude than many people do. Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I, I feel like gratitude is part of my day-to-day life for sure. Mm. And it, it, maybe there's, I think the problem that many people have without them realising is because they have so much stuff and therefore they're, there's a lot of stuff they have which they never use and have no appreciation for, and it's always just about acquiring new stuff all the time. Yeah, even after this many years of being quite minimalist, I still feel like I have too much stuff. You know, mm. so I'm constantly giving things away and trying to clear my space to just have more space. You know, I, I would re- much prefer to have more space and less stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree completely on that. One of the things I saw on your site, you you talked about um, pain, which you use as a... um, Personally activating information is my acronym for pain. Acronym is the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you want to explain that? Pain as personally activating information. To me, that just means that the things that we generally think of as being difficult or unpleasant or uncomfortable in life often are a two-edged sword, right? So, of course, nobody likes to be in pain. <laughs> We'd much more rather have pleasure, but mm. pain can be useful, right? So this is the thing of pain is basically, the way that I look at pain is that it's something that nature uses to draw our attention to something, Right. So if you imagine when you hurt yourself, it's basically your body saying to you, hey, we need to send resources here to heal. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with other things that are not necessarily physical pain. It could be emotional pain or um, social pain or whatever it is, but just or even just existential pain of what in the world do you notice that's going on around you that is causing your heart to hurt? And this is something to pay attention to. And it's an amazing highlighter in terms of helping people align with purpose. I think it's a really critical piece of information that we're mm-hmm. able to tune in to what causes us pain, all different kinds of pain. And right. that we use that as guidance, right? To say, okay, I'm going to put energy here. I'm going to put attention here because this is something that my system is uniquely sensitive to. And this is really individual because we don't all necessarily have the same sensitivity to everything, right? You can look at what's going on in the world and say, wow, there's so much, right? There's so much that we need to do, that we need to heal, that we need to help, and we can't do all of it. So how do we filter and how do we sort and how do we choose? And Mm. for me, pain is basically that pointer that says, okay, go there. Mm. If, if people want to find out more about your the program and, and your book and all the stuff that you're doing, where, where's the best places for them to look? You can find me at heywendymay.com. That's my website. And mm-hmm. it's the same on social media. So I'm heywendymay on Facebook, on Instagram, LinkedIn, Medium. Yeah, just to make it easy, it's all heywendymay. Okay. And do you, is there a book 
that you've, I get the impression you've been influenced by a few different things over the, you know, over the course of your life. Is there a particular book that you sometimes recommend to people? Mm. Yeah, one of the books that I quoted quite heavily in my own book is called The Soul of Money by Lynn mm. Twist. And this mm. was, for me, really pivotal in shaping my understanding around money and what it is and what it isn't, and how sometimes people conflate the terms abundance and money, how they're actually not really the same thing, but we sort Mm -hmm. of have distorted that concept. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really compelling because she talks about people that are both resource-rich and resource-poor, and basically points to the fact that we all have the same psychology of lack, this sort of scarcity mindset that is irrespective of your station in life, doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, that this is basically a cultural disease that we have, that we look at life from a place of lack. And Mm. yeah, it was really formative for me, that book. How how long ago was it that you read that? Oh, well, it's been at least five years. Mm. And is there, finally, is there a, a quotation that you particularly like? Yeah, there's so many. I mean, the one that came to mind when you first asked me is um, a quote from my book where I talk about purpose is not what we love to do. Purpose is what we do from love. And what, what is it that, about that that resonates with you? I think for me it's... Um, This idea of moving from love is really important to me because I feel that a lot of times, whatever it is we're talking about, love, purpose, freedom, all of it can be very much an ego drive, right? That we want to be seen as loving, we want to be seen as free, or we want to be seen as purposeful. And Mm -hmm. this distinction really kind of um, digs a little bit deeper into that, right? And a lot of sort of personal development, self-help talks about this pleasure principle, right? Of do what you love or follow your bliss or this kind of thing that it helps us to get out of this brainwashing of, you know, sacrifice and martyrdom and all of that. But I think for me, it this takes it to the next step, which is, okay, once you're out of this suffering is merit <laughs> mindset and you can actually embrace what you enjoy, then the next level beyond doing what you love is actually doing from love, which is a little bit different than doing what you love to do because sometimes purpose work isn't necessarily enjoyable, right? It can actually be really hard work. It can really bring us up to our own personal growth edge and be challenging or we we even have resistance against it sometimes. But we do it anyway because we're moved by love. For me, that's really the soul of purpose, is moving from love. Well, Wendy, I love your attitude towards what you do and towards life. It's, um, it's really refreshing. So thank you for, for taking the time to, to share that with us over the last um, you know, 45 minutes or so. Yeah, thanks for all of your lovely questions. It's really fun to kind of dig into some of this stuff for myself as well. Thank you, Wendy. In next week's episode, we explore the world of Toastmasters International and public speaking in general with Bob Ferguson. 
Bob Ferguson has been a member of Toastmasters International for 25 years. He's also a member of the Professional Speaking Association and is a professional speaker. For Toastmasters, he's won a number of contests for the UK and has represented the UK in the World Championships for for international speech contests, for impromptu speaking, for giving feedback to other speakers on their talk. So we're going to hear a lot more about Toastmasters, how it can help you in being more confident in your communication and just your general communication and being able to to speak off the cuff when your boss asks you, asks you something or you're at a meeting or whatever the case may be. So that's next week's episode with Bob Ferguson. Hope you enjoyed this week's show with Wendy May. Um, if you do know anyone who may get some real value from some of the uh, information that when Wendy discussed, please do share the episode with them. Why not leave a review for us and uh, subscribe while you're at the iTunes site and hope you have a great week.